Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I hope that my voice came through that time and the music didn't interrupt it and make it all choppy. It did? Shoot. Son of a gun. Anyway. No, no, no. It was good, I'm saying. Not choppy. It was good? Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Anyways, brought to you by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean. To break down all things avalanche hockey, it's been a few days, Arif, so we got some catching up to do. But um, obviously, I think the conversation has to start right now about overly polite hockey players, (laughs) right? Um, Kale McCarr waving off a penalty that uh, I guess a phantom penalty that was about to be called and ultimately costing his team a power play opportunity. I know after the game, he kind of regretted uh, what happened, but I think honesty is always the best policy and, and it is what it is. I mean, I guess what, what are your thoughts on Kale McCarr being overly honest on this one? That was, that had to be the most fascinating press conference. Well, uh, press scrum, I should say media scrum. I've ever been a part of there talking to Kel McCarr after the game. And it was kind of funny because like the Avalanche won a game one to nothing in the shootout where literally one person scored in the shootout on a nice play in Evan Rodriguez. The goalie saved everything in regulation, overtime, and the shootout. And media went in. One person went to talk to Rodriguez. Two people went to talk to Georgie. And six people went right to Kel McCarr to be like, what the hell happened? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... We had some theories in the press box about, you know, one guy thought maybe he was trying to, uh, you know, signal to the referee. And this is what I asked Kale, like, were you trying to signal to the referee that it wasn't a call because you thought you were also going to get called for embellishment? And he said no. And then somebody else, like, you know, kind of clarified with him, like, you weren't trying to, you know, eliminate the possibility of a makeup call later, were you? And he said no. Uh, it literally just was Kale McCarr tripped himself which is what he said i just tripped usually when i fall down it's because somebody trips me but this time i tripped it was literally a case of kill mccarr getting falling over getting a call that he felt he didn't deserve and right away getting up on instinct looking at the ref and signaling and waving to him no don't call that that was not a penalty just the most fascinating thing i've ever seen and i know it's happened before in the nhl but it doesn't make it any less weird that was one of the most fascinating things i've seen Kale McCarr's media scrum was one of the more fascinating things I've been a part of because of his, uh, you know, I felt guilty doing it, but I also would have felt guilty if I just let it slide. I apologized to my teammates for, you know, giving up the power play like that. I'm also really happy that we, uh, I'm also really happy that we ended up winning. We got the two points. Like it was just really strange. He was so conflicted. Well, that's kind of what it is about it, too, right? It happened so early in the game, first period, and then as the game trickles on, the game goes on, Kale McCarr's probably sitting there late in the third, still 0-0, like, shoot, if we would have just had that extra power play opportunity, maybe we would have converted, and here they are battling, 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 such a low-scoring game, that was a really good chance, and I know the power play hasn't exactly been buzzing as of late, Um, they've been decent, they've been okay, but I feel like they looked pretty good last night, they only had two opportunities on the power play, but they were whizzing that puck around and and just kind of looked like the power play of old it's been a couple games now honestly the last game they had pretty good opportunities too uh the only thing is and this is something that i wrote about in their victory a couple games ago uh was it nashville i think it was nashville i'm kind of losing track of these home games uh what i wrote that night when the avs won that game was it i think three to one with the empty netter was that they're finally starting to pick it up, but this is a team that without Nazem Kadri, without Gabe Landeskog, 
uh, without McKinnon for a chunk of it, without Nichushkin for a large chunk of it, they're just not drawing a lot of penalties. They're not where they usually are in terms of power play opportunities. And what did they get yesterday? Two chances. Mm-hmm. They only gave up one, and it was a Curtis McDermott penalty that you can see from a mile away. But they're just not getting a lot of opportunities. So it's hard to break out of a slump where you get four minutes of PP time. You actually do pretty damn well at it. But even when you're in the middle of a power play hot streak, sometimes four minutes and two calls is just not enough to get you going. You need a little bit more than that, and they're just not getting their chances. I mean, what what percentage are they floating at right now, right? I mean, it's probably somewhere around 25. So you got to think if they get four chances, one of them goes in. Bingo, and, yeah, you know, for the Kale, season. Kale McCarr would have been the third one. So who, who knows what could have happened on – um you know, a third power play <laughs> chance, or I guess it would have been the first really, but it would have been, yeah, a little bit different, but they have kind of fallen down. So that 27.2, if you remember, there was about a 40 day stretch where they were first in the NHL. Now they are sixth. And one of the teams ahead of them is the Ottawa senators who have just been on a heater lately in the same amount of time that Colorado, I wrote this after the Nashville game. And let me actually pull up my article from that game because I have it. I had the exact numbers where, in the same amount of time since the Duchesne injury, um, and we can include yesterday to this because it's now 0 for 2 addition. Duchesne. Did I say Duchesne? McKinnon, yeah. McKinnon injury. Uh, there was a game where there, since the McKinnon injury until yesterday, uh, the Ottawa Senators, the Avalanche without McKinnon are now with yesterday's two power plays, one for, one for 18 on the man advantage. The lone tally being Grantonin's tally in the first period against the National Predators. Mm-hmm. The Ottawa Senators in that same stretch are 12 for 30. So not only do the Ottawa Senators have 11 more power play goals than the Avalanche in the past two weeks, but Colorado's chances are nothing compared to those 30. Yeah, that's a lot of opportunity. 12 chances, that's that's three more goals at this percentage. And if you get on a little bit of a heater, you don't know where it could go from there. So like, that's kind of the thing right now with the Avalanche is they're, the biggest thing that I'm noticing is they're not getting power play opportunities. They are only, and I say only, it's kind of funny because it's still pretty high, 12th in the NHL, but that's pretty damn low in power play opportunities. And mind you, that number is a lot, they're a lot lower with that number over the last couple of weeks as compared to the early parts of the season. Um, but it's literally been for the Avs just trying to make as you know, make do with as little power play opportunities as you've been getting. And since the Duchesne injury, they are way down. You said Duchesne again. Am I really saying Duchesne? Since the McKinnon. <laughs> I, I, You're about 10 years behind. Damn national game. Way too much. <laughs> since the Nathan McKinnon injury. I'm struggling here, JJ. The Avalanche are 28th in the NHL in power play opportunities per game. They're not getting a lot of chances. Well, the other issue with them currently, too, is just the, the five-on-five five play. I mean, you want those power plays to come through so bad because they – are very threatening, right? Very uh, dangerous power plays, but they just haven't been getting the five-on-five support lately. And um, obviously, a game like last night, Sorokin just has a a great stellar career night, right? And that's going to happen every once in a while. But you look around at the other games, and and they're still just not hitting very high goal marks, right? I mean, three against Nashville, two against Buffalo, three against Philadelphia, three against St. Louis – one against New York, zero against Boston. That's been the last six games. They're not getting even over three goals, which typically in avalanche hockey, once they get over three goals, you can feel pretty comfortable that they're going to win the yeah. game. So that's that's been a pretty 
big issue lately too. But I mean, again, they're, they're finding ways to win. They're doing it in a very mediocre style, right? They're just kind of a regular ho-hum team right now that has to rely on hard work and hard structure. And I think we're kind of exposing Jared Bednar's uh, philosophies and structures as kind of boring hockey. If you don't have those electric mm-hmm. stars, those electric offense play, you're, are you enjoying this? I mean, no, no, zero, no, 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 zero no, no, no. period. No, no, no. I see it the way. We're not exposing Jared Bednar's style. We are seeing a master class of coaching for a guy that had a player with seven goals in seven games, and then he went down for 17 games. And Nachushkin obviously has taken him a little bit of time to get back to goal scoring, but I don't blame him. The guy's been through a lot. Um, but this is a, this is a coach that already had to deal with losing Kadri and Burakovsky, already had to deal with Newhook is not your 2C, even though he said he was going to give him a long leash. He's a third-line winger, maybe a second-line winger when you need it. And if you remember what he said after the Buffalo game, I like him more on the wing. Uh, was it the Buffalo game? No, Nashville game. He said, I like him more playing on the wing. But what you're seeing is a master class in coaching for a guy that's missing 41 goals of Gabe Landeskog between the regular season and playoffs last year. Plus, Nathan McKinnon hasn't been there in two weeks. Plus, uh, you already lost Kadri's 28 goals, Andre Burakovsky's 22 goals. You're seeing a master class of coaching from a coach that had to adjust on the fly in the middle of a season with a team that since he's been here, minus that first season that was a shit show, has like ridden this offensive heater for five years and just won the Stanley Cup by being that kind of team, has now had to adjust his style because of these injuries, because of the guys he lost. And you know very well, and this is why I don't mind the fact that they're not scoring a lot of goals, that if, and I know we've been doing this over and over again, if they all get fully healthy and McKinnon's back and then you get Landis back and you get Josh Manson and Bowen Byram and Darren Helm, and, you know, not that J- Darren Helm and Josh Manson are going to score you a lot of goals, but when they're back, it's going to start to put players in the positions that they belong in. You're no longer playing JT Comfer or, or Andrew Cogliano, you know, assuming he's healthy, geez. Uh, in top six roles, you're putting everybody into the place they wanted, they should be in, and then you go out and trade for another forward, be it a second-line center or another winger to adjust your depth. By that point, you can go back to being that offensive heater of a team that you are and you're going to adjust again. So that's kind of the way that I'm seeing it. Jared can't play that offensive style game because that would expose his style if you have Cogliano and O'Connor rushing up the wing trying to be 30-goal scorers. It's not going to happen. Yeah, sure. He's, he's going for a keep keep it simple, stupid method, right? I mean, I don't think you have as much success in the ECHL and the AHL, though, without having this kind of shut it down, let's uh, focus defense first type of system. And I, and that's 100% Jared Bednar's philosophies, right? And again, I think Absolutely. in order for his systems to be successful, he has to have some weapons on the offensive end and just simply doesn't have – I mean, 46 shots on goal last night, that's that's decent offense offensive production. Um, you just doesn't don't have anybody to bury him, right? So uh, I think you're just kind of seeing this defensive structure not fall right you're seeing the defensive structure just be strong and stable and that's how they always are it's just with, that usually they have somebody on the other end to, to capitalize with, with all of those guys healthy minus and andre burakovsky think back to game six in tampa get in tampa bay mckinnon ties it up at one one arturia lekin makes it two to one and then what did the avalanche do from there they shut didn't it give down. they shut yep. the hell out of it down that was the master classiest of master class defensive abilities and that's what you want in a coach 
You want a coach who can adjust on the fly of, you know what, we're an offensive powerhouse. We're going to shut it down because we're 25 minutes of game time or 30 minutes of game time away from winning a Stanley Cup. We're an offensive powerhouse, but we need to shut it down and change it up because we have three, four, five, six injuries at a time, two of them being top line players in Landeskog and McKinnon. So that's what I'm seeing from Jared Bednar. And, and that's what I'm seeing from the Avalanche. Yesterday's game is kind of a little bit of a, that's, that's not going to happen all the time. That's an outlier. You're not going to have 46 shots, those kinds of chances, hit the post that many times and come away with zero goals and, and you know, kind of call it, a, you know, this team just can't bury the puck right now. Those are the kind of games that even if you're in the middle of an offensive heater, like last year in January when they were winning everything and scoring a ton of goals in every game, you know, an exciting comeback against the Maple Leafs, an exciting comeback against the Boston Bruins, all of those crazy-ass games that they had, if smack dab in the middle of it, they had a 0-0 game that they won in the shootout against the New York Islanders because Sorokin stood on his head, it would look the exact same as it did today. You know, last night, I should say. Uh, I don't think that game is is uh, something that kind of proves what we're speaking of. I think the Nashville game was, the Buffalo game, and all the games before, even the St. Louis one on the road. But yesterday was just different. The Avalanche had a ton of golden opportunities. Miko Rantanen had 10 shots. Evan Rodriguez was all over the ice. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen had a couple chances. They just couldn't end up burying it because this goalie on the other side just didn't let it happen. But I, I think there's – I'm with you. I get it. It was a, a hot day for a hot goalie. Yeah. And uh, a lot of good players getting some good chances. 46 shots is something you know I think you can rest your hat on. But this team hasn't scored a first-period goal I think since the New York Rangers game, and even then, before that, they had a the the shutout against Boston, right? So first periods are are really difficult for them right now, and I yeah. think that's just a staple of them not being able to score right now. I mean, we we talked about it for a while. The scoring has been down this year, and and you kind of pointed out why. There's a lot of names that bring a lot of production that are missing from the lineup, but there's something just missing from the offensive end of this team that that I think needs to be focused on a little bit more it's nice to still be pulling out wins here and there but but the lack of goals and honestly just the the boring hockey you've kind of seen without nathan mckinnon um is an, a matter at hand i'm not going to call it an issue but it, it's it's something yeah. yeah i can't call it an issue i can't call it any of those things because i just know that they don't have the horses right now to play that style like yes they have val nachushkin and arturi lakinen those are guys that should be producing but haven't really as much. Again, I'm going to cut Val some slack because of the injury he's coming back from and because of the injury that he came back from to even start the season. I was actually shocked that he was ready for opening night. Um, yeah, me too. Which, by the way, Nachushkin yesterday, Monday, didn't even partake in morning skate. So you know there's something there. Yeah, it's still lingering. If he needs a maintenance day, you know, uh, uh, injuries don't just turn they into don't, a they 100%. Don't yeah, yeah, this isn't, you know, an EA Sports game where it says your player is out four to six weeks and then he's healthy. and oh, he's an 88 overall left winger. Great. Like, it doesn't work that way in the real world. So, you know, he's got something lingering. Miko Rantanen, six of the last 11 goals. That doesn't include the shootout goal yesterday because that's not really a goal that's recorded for a player. Six of the last 11 goals for the Avalanche since the McKinnon injury have come from Miko Rantanen. Think of that. They've only scored 11 goals since Nathan McKinnon went down. One of them an empty netter, and they're 4-1-1 in six games. That doesn't include the Boston game. If you include the Boston game, they're 4-2-1. But they're 4-1-1 since they played an AHL roster, since they got Nachushkin and Lekkinen back and uh, Evan Rodriguez. like Those are three powerful players to add to your lineup. But what I've also noticed since those players have come back is 
the Avalanche ha- are, have allowed, what is it, 26 shots against this team, 26 against Nashville. I think it was 28 the game before, and then 30 against the Blues in a game that went to overtime. They're not allowing a lot of shots. So, again, I wouldn't call it an issue because I think they're doing this by design. They're doing it by design. And this, unlike the injury thing where you snap a finger and a person's 100%, this is something where you can snap a finger. You know, the Avalanche got... Nachushkin, Lekanen, and Rodriguez back in a three or four game stretch. If in a three or four game stretch, which is what could happen, they get back Nathan McKinnon, Darren Helm, and Gabe Landeskog, that could literally be a situation where they have two days off before their game. Jared Bednar shows up at practice and says, hey guys, finger snap. Let's switch it right back up and play that offensive style. Is Gabe Landeskog going to need time to get back into the game? Probably not. He played a regular season game in March. He came back for the playoffs in May. And just absolutely crushed it and, you know, was the leading goal scorer in the playoffs for the Avalanche. Um, and then there or second leading goal scorer, I think, behind McKinnon. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, every single time he comes back from an injury, he doesn't need time to pick it up. Val Nachushkin, let's give him as many maintenance days as he needs. That poor guy probably shouldn't even be playing right now, but he is because of what the issue is. I just I can't see it as an issue because I just know that the style of play they're playing is 100% by design with this team right now. JT Comfer has taken 31 of 64 faceoffs yesterday, almost half. There were those games last week where he actually did take half the faceoffs. They're playing this style of game because it's the best way to win right now, and it's working. It's boring. It sucks, but when their players come back, they're not going to be the New York Islanders. Coincidentally, they played them yesterday. They're not going to be the New York Islanders all the way to an Eastern Conference final like they were those two years. They're going to be the New York Islanders for a couple games, and then, or not a couple games, a couple months, and then they're going to go back to being the Colorado Avalanche while being the New York Islanders got them some victories. I think it's interesting the difference in the way you and I perceive it. I don't think either of us are are totally wrong. Um and I think we both make a lot of good points, but you're essentially saying they're playing a different style right now until they get their players back. I'm essentially saying they're playing the same style just without their players back. They have no weaponry. Um, but, you know, I guess either kind of can be right. But at the end of the day, the important thing is victories, right? There was the stretch earlier in the month where they uh, had that rough road trip and were, were sliding. And that's where you were maybe starting to get worried, but, now what they're doing, they're getting themselves out of that hole. They're figuring out how to win games until they fully recover. And uh, yeah, we're, we're only on the, the right trajectory and everybody's starting to rejoin the team slowly but surely. And I'm sure we're probably going to talk about him in a sec, but it helps when Alexander Georgiev plays the type of game that he's been playing. Because if you think back, you just mentioned that stretch that they had in early December. In early December, they were coming off of a loss. They closed out the month of November with a 5 to nothing shutout loss against the Winnipeg Jets. And then they beat the Buffalo Sabres 6-4. to four, And then they rattle off three consecutive regulation losses where they give up five goals, five goals, and four goals. So in that five-game stretch, they gave up five, they gave up four, they gave up five, five, and four. A lot of goals against. That's not what you want to see. And then they get back Val Nachushkin. That last game, that four goals against, that was the AHL Avalanche game against the Boston Bruins. So then they get back a couple guys. They lose 2-1 to one to the New York Rangers in the shootout. So technically, they gave up one goal there. So they give up one goal against the Rangers, two against the Blues, two against Philly, four against Buffalo, one against Nashville, zero against the New York Islanders. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six games where they've given up one, five, seven, nine, ten. They've given up ten goals in the last six games. 
that's what you want from your goalies. That's what you're getting from Georgie, and that's what you're getting from Frankie. So yeah, you've only given you've only scored eleven goals since Nathan McKinnon went down, but you've only given up ten goals in the last six games in a stretch where you are four one and one. You lost to the Buffalo Sabers. The last goal was an empty netter. You technically only gave up nine goals in six games to goalies. I remember after that Buffalo loss, uh, I was going to go talk to Alexander Georgiev, and he was just pissed, right? I mean, I know it wasn't his fault that they lost that game, but he's slamming his gear, he's slamming his clothing and back into his bag and just uh, really upset. And that's what you want to see out of this guy because he did have a, a slightly tough stretch there, right? There were, I think, two games that he just did not play too well. And, um, I mean, we've talked about it since the beginning of, of getting Alexander Georgiev here. He holds himself to a high standard. He has too much fire in his belly to let that kind of play slide. So um, he corrected some stuff, came out with a little bit more vigor, I would say, and, and just found ways to win and, and just finding ways to play better goaltending anyway. Um, obviously, a shutout is, is pretty impressive stuff, and you want to see it keep going. But uh, I think... It might be early to say this, but I think Alexander Georgiev might have figured his stuff out, and I think those rough patches are going to be few and far between from the rest of the season. Yeah, and even if he goes through a little bit of a stretch again of four or five games, we're only 30 games in. There's 52 more hockey games to get to, and he's played 21 of the first 30. He'll figure it out. He'll get back on track. Here is a stat for you that Maybe one of our listeners can do the digging. Maybe you and I do the digging. Maybe we talk to Brendan McNicholas because he always digs up these funky stats for the Avalanche, the PR guy. 30 games so far for the Avalanche. Alexander Georgiev has started 21. Pavel Francouz has started nine, right? The 21 that Georgie started, he finished. The nine that Frankie started, he also finished. The Avalanche haven't had a goalie pulled in 30 games. And has there been a game? Yeah, they've given up four here, five here. Has there been a game where you've looked at a goalie's performance and said, yeah, they should switch it up? Has there been a game where nine minutes in the Avalanche are down three nothing? Or after two periods, they're down five to two? Or something where you feel like the goalie should get pulled? There hasn't. 30 games this season. Knock on wood for the injury standpoint, because sometimes injuries are what you need to pull a goalie. Sometimes Darcy Kemper's skate blade is That's fucked up. and You got you to gotta pull a goalie. Um but 30 games into the season, nobody has been pulled. That speaks volumes for the difference in goaltending this year compared to years past. And that, in my opinion, is why Jared is able to kind of implement this new style until he gets his weapons back. Yeah, no, I like it. Strong, stable, just good goaltending. 26 saves out of Georgiev, 46 out of Sorokin. Just good goaltending we got to see last night, right? And I guess the, the next little quick conversation I wanted to have I had this on the hockey show a few months ago with Ryan Bolding, and he poo-pooed my thought. He poo-pooed my idea. He said, no, Finland is still where it's at, but are Russian goalies where you want to be plucking your goalies out of from in the current NHL? Yes, I absolutely, I am 100% on board with that. I asked asked, uh, Georgie last night after the game, and he was back to happy, upbeat Georgie, not the pissed off one from the Buffalo game. He got a victory. Yeah, and he had a shutout. Um, I asked him if he has a good relationship with Sorokin, if he knows him at all. And he says, yeah, we were teammates at the World Championship. I know him pretty well. He actually says that on Sunday, he wanted to have dinner with him, and they planned to have dinner together in Denver, but they just couldn't get the timing figured out, so they didn't do it. But then I asked him, I was like, you know, you obviously you have an extra reason to play well against the New York Rangers, but like you keep rattling off these impressive games when Shesterkin's at the other side and now Sorokin, like, do you have like a battle with these Russian goalies? Your, you know, these buddies of yours, where you wake up 
wanting to play extra well those days because of that. And he kind of was like ready to like agree. And then he kind of like took a step back. He like gave a little huff and a ha and like thought about it and was like, no, no, my, my goal is to play my best game every time I'm in the crease. But the reality <laughs> is like he is having incredible games against these other Russian goalies um, as he should. Uh, he wants to be the best Russian goalie. And I genuinely believe that the Russian goaltending factory is where it's at because we got these three big ass names we're mentioning Sorokin, Shesterkin, and something that we've noticed that the rest of the NHL will notice is Georgie is up there. There's one name we're missing. Who are we missing? Vasilevsky. Yeah. And he's, he's the best of the bunch. <laughs> like this is a good ass country. Like those are four goalies. If there was an Olympics in two months, two of them wouldn't even be sitting on the bench. And you I mean, could argue that two of them, the ones that aren't sitting on the bench could start for team Canada. Who are they going to go with? Tristan Jari, Darcy Kemper. Like that's how good the Russian goaltending has gotten. Right now I'm looking at the top 12 goalies in save percentage. Vasilevsky, not even on it. He's 17th right now, but number yeah. two, you've got Samsonov. Number four, you got Sorokin. Number six, you got Kochekov. Number six, also tied. You got Georgiev. And then you, you got to go down to 12 for Shesterkin and 12 for Varlamov. So six of the top 12. I haven't even mentioned Varley, who was sick yesterday, so he wasn't even on the bench as a backup. Haven't even mentioned Ilya Samsonov, who was a highly touted goalie that is now kind of finding his way with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So great for him. And Peter K Piotr Kuchetkov, I'm going <laughs> to struggle with that name. Piotr Kuchetkov, genuinely... I've seen a couple games, man. That guy's a dog. He's going to be the Carolina Hurricanes starter. It ain't going to be that Peter Morazic and James Reimer era they had or uh, or Nadelkovich or, or uh, Antti Ranta and, and Freddie Anderson. Those are all stop gaps for this guy. He's that good, and I genuinely believe he's only going to get better. That's the Russian goaltending factory. So Ryan Balding may have poo-pooed you on that, but I, I believe it is now the Russians take overtaking the Finns because Mika Kripasov is retired. Pekka Rene has retired. I'm um, probably missing some other names. Yeah, UC Soros is still there, but the Finns aren't as strong as Tuka. they once were. Tuka Rask, bingo. That's the third one I'm missing. Like the, Those used to be the Finns' goalies, and obviously Kiprasov was a while ago, but... You know, it kind of it's a good throwback. Tr yeah, it, it transitioned greatly into the Tuka Rasks and, and the Pecorines, but I, I think it's the Russian goaltending factory that's that's doing it now. And then second behind them, honestly, is probably the US. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I love I the love goalie that. conversation. Uh let's take a quick second, guys. Uh we I wonder why we don't have an updated ad read from these guys, but I'm just gonna read this anyway because it makes me giggle. It's fun. Football is back. And nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wager into the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet, up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 Zero zero. This is a shortened episode. We didn't have our long Sunday football, episode. Football is back. It's almost gone. Yeah. Enjoy <laughs> enjoy your fall while it's uh, already behind you. <laughs> Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure. Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. An evergreen 
ad read right there. Always fresh, always up to date. They don't have to change it. Smart, smart ad writing there by uh, Total Beverage. Um, let's we get have a trade in. to announce. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that at the end. I think there's a couple guys we still got to talk about from their performance. We'll keep it quick. And that's Evan Rodriguez. We've seen him yes. get reinserted in the lineup. Obviously, the uh, pivotal move there down in the uh, shootout. And, of course, I liked hearing about the uh, the scouting from Jared Bednar, right? How they kind of prepare for these shootouts. Yeah. Even if there's just part of the pregame planning is is studying the shootout regardless. Yeah. And how, how often do they even go to the shootout? One every 10, 15 games? Who knows? They're preparing for it anyway, which was something really cool to hear. And the, that Evan Rodriguez was able to go to Sam Bennett and say, hey, what do you think I should do here? He kind of gives him some pointers. Evan Rodriguez Ray goes Bennett, and executes. Ray Bennett, Ray Bennett Ray my Bennett. bad. Yeah, not, not the guy that plays for the Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> He's got uh, a cool mustache. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, no, I, I loved that from Jared as well. And then I, I asked him that follow-up question of like, doesn't the home team usually shoot first? Like what made you go second? And he says, usually if I have a goalie playing as hot as Georgie was yesterday, I like to shoot second so that we can score to win a game, not score to, you know, not score the first goal and then need a save to win a game, which I think sucks because how many times have we seen Georgie make that shootout winning save and just celebrate with like all this passion and vigor. So I kind of love that about Georgie, but it ended up being that yesterday because the avalanche only shot twice. Georgie made the third save and it was already over. Uh, so the big thing for Evan Rodriguez for me is, and this is a conversation we could have later as we get into January. Once we get into January, J, uh, JJ, we are, I was going to call you Jared, JJ, once we get into January, we are going to ramp the hell up out of our trade deadline coverage all the way to March. Cause it'll be two months away, January 3rd to March 3rd. But Rodriguez has been back for three games in his first game against the Buffalo Sabres. He scores a goal. In his second game against the National Predators, he assists on the game winner. In the third game against the New York Islanders, obviously everybody had goose eggs, zero points, but he scores the shootout winner. Three games, three important goals, or three important plays, 23 minutes and one second of ice time for him against the New York Islanders. Uh, just overall, Evan Rodriguez is bringing it right now. Seven goals, four assists, 11 points in 21 games, and that's with the fact that he started his season with four consecutive games of nothingness. It took him four games to pick it up. So in his last 17 games, he's got seven and four for 11 points. That's about a 50-point average. That's a guy that's carrying the weight of the fact that they didn't replace Nazem Kadri. Alex Newhook hasn't figured it out. You got Evan Rodriguez giving you second-line center production. I know JT Comfer is doing it too, but you also got Evan Rodriguez doing it. You have options, and the fact that both of those guys are doing it is what – allows you to be a little bit more comfortable without McKinnon for a couple more weeks. Yeah, I think Evan Rodriguez, he's, he's got some skill. I wouldn't say it's a, a amazing skill. He's not one of the most talented players in the league, but what he does have is a really high hockey IQ, and that's something I picked up on during his absence and now his return, right? Seeing him slot back in the lineup and seeing him carry the puck, gain the offensive zone, he does it really strategically he does it really smart and he makes sure to buy himself space he knows how to kind of uh dip and dive through the through the defensive guys to buy himself space open up some passing lanes where you know i think a guy like alex newhook kind of just thinks i'm going straight to the net i think evan rodriguez has a little bit more patience and just again a higher hockey iq and in his absence i realized how valuable he is to this team. And now that he's back in, I'm really glad to see him back in. When before you're like, ah, oh, Evan Rodriguez, he's it sucks to see him go down, but are you really going to be that damaged by his absence? Now I think he provides so much more to the table now having seen what they were without him versus yep. now with him back in. 
Yeah. And again, the reason why I had that whole spiel about the trade deadline is because there's a conversation to be had of, do you just shore up a depth center and a big time winger to play on the third line and have Evan Rodriguez play second line center? That's a conversation worth having because Nathan McKinnon rarely misses important games in the playoffs and deep in the regular season. Whenever he misses games, it's November, December. That guy does not miss important games. And the Chicago Blackhawks with Jonathan Taves as your top line center won two Stanley Cups, one of them with Michael Hanzus as a second-line center, one of them with Anton Vermette as a second-line center. And I think the third one was with a very old and past his prime Brad Richards, if I remember correctly. So there has been a proof of concept with that where if you're loaded up at the wing with guys like Marion Hosa and Patrick Sharp, you can win without a without a second-line center of a big name, of a big caliber like Kadri, which, you know, if you think about last year, with Burakovsky as a third-line winger, obviously he ended up getting injured in the final. But with Berkey as a third-line winger, Ranton and Landeskog, Lekin and Nichushkin as your top two line wingers, um, the Avalanche pretty much almost won the cup with JT Comfer as a second-line center before Kadri came back with that broken thumb. So there has been proof of concept before. So do you give up a lot for a second-line center? Do you give up a lot less for a masterclass winger, stick him on the third line, and just have Evan Rodriguez run the show with Landeskog and Nichushkin. There's a conversation there to be had. Andrew Cogliano leaves the game last night, doesn't return. He's such a tough cookie, so seeing him leave the game and not return, you got to know something is up there. Uh, your thoughts on Cogliano? The, the way he was holding his shoulder and collarbone area looks to be like it might be a separated shoulder. We'll see. Uh, Jared didn't have an update right away after the game. He said he was still getting evaluated. Practice starts here in about two and a half hours. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I will try to be there. Uh, I'm sure we'll have an update on him then. Again, he's so tough. He's probably just day to day. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Um, lastly, the uh, Avalanche made a trade yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis Mulligan from the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, now a Colorado Avalanche for Dryden Hunt. I'm not sure if they were just tired of having two hunts in the locker room. <sighs> Or really saw some value in swapping these depth guys. <laughs> what was that joke we made when Hunt was acquired? We're like, can we just call you Lucas? You took his jersey number and we, you know, we have, <laughs> we, we, we don't really know you. We probably won't know you for long, but we need a body right now. And that's the reality. They didn't know him for long. Two goals in 28 games, I want to say. Traded for Dennis Malgin, who will be wearing number 81. Uh, I don't know why that matters, but it does. It's, cool. it's funny. I don't think yeah. we've had any 81s. Since Vladislav Kamenev, when he wore 81 after Kadri stole his 91. Uh, and mm, Dennis Malgin right. wore 62 in Toronto. And he wore 62 in Toronto because Toronto has so many jerseys retired that you got to go for the high random training camp numbers. Lo and behold, he gets traded to one of the teams that actually have a 62 that matters in Arturi Lekinen. So he'll be wearing number 81. Um, the big thing with Dennis Malgin is he was a one-for-one trade for Mason Marchment. The Toronto Maple Leafs kind of big time dropped the ball there because Mason Marchment's a player now. Um, he went to Switzerland for a couple of years. He came back. So he kind of pulled a Val Nachushkin of like going back to find his game, came back, played a lot of time on the second line, uh, for the Maple Leafs with Tavares and Marner, but just hasn't found his footing. So very, very, very small chance that he's going to figure anything out with the avalanche. This might just be another minor league for minor league trade, or it might be not just for the abs, maybe for the Leafs as well, where one of the team ends up with the Ryan Graves and the Ryan Graves for Chris Begra trade. So I'm not going to put a lot of stock into this. I think it's two teams that had players that they were going to put on waivers that said, rather than losing them for nothing, let's lose them for each other. And because of that, um, it kind of makes sense for both teams. Let's switch it up and see what happens. And maybe Dennis Malgin could be the answer for the Colorado Avalanche. All right, guys. Truth be told, 
After Arif so elegantly broke down that trade, him and I lost internet connection, and uh, thanks to this fantastic program we're trying to learn and use to, to stream our shows, things kind of fell apart at the end, but luckily, hey, our show was done, so all we needed was the wrap-up. So as always, guys, thanks for hanging out with us during this episode. We'll try to figure out the kinks here and uh, make this a, a better product for you, but um, I'm pretty pleased with the episode, so I hope you are too. So I uh, hope everybody has a great happy holiday. I'm sure we'll be back before Christmas to uh, break down some more abs hockey. We got a game here on Wednesday, and uh, yeah. As always, if you made it this far in the podcast, definitely put bless your pretty little heart. Thanks for your patience. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.